You're listening to a message from Stonegate Church. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, please visit Stonegate.Church. So today we're going to talk about anxiety. Yay! I'm sure that makes many of us anxious in the room, uh, even thinking about it, because the statistics would say that many of us struggle with anxiety. So, so here are the stats. This is fun. Three out of five, 60% of Americans say they are tempted to worry or be anxious. For women, that number jumps up to 68%. And for men, wait for it, drops down to 50%. Uh, so, so, and, but, but it's not just affecting adults, it's even run rampant with our youth. Anxiety disorders affect 25%, so that's one in four children between the ages 13 and 18 years old. Research shows that untreated children with anxiety disorders are at higher risk to perform poorly in school, to miss out on important social experiences, and to engage in substance abuse. Uh, so, so we know this, this is an issue in our culture, and it comes out even in the art we make, like, don't worry, be happy, or, it means no worries for the rest of your days. It's our problem-free philosophy. Okay, all right, okay. I see you. Or, last one, say don't worry about a thing. Why? Because every little thing is going to be all right. Okay, I think we get it now. And what culture is telling us is this. Everything's going to be okay. Just don't worry. Uh, we humans have it under control. And the questions you have to ask yourself from these songs in our culture is this. Is every little thing actually going to be all right? <laughs> if we just say a couple words, will everything that's wrong with your world just go away? And you can just ask how that worked for Simba when he returned back to his homeland ruled by Scar and the hyenas, right? Those problems didn't just go away because he said akuna matata, right? And so thankfully, God's word isn't silent on the issue. It should hopefully come as really good news to us that Jesus has something to say about this topic here in his Sermon on the Mount. Uh, but, but spoiler alert, it, it, it might not be what you expect. And so Jesus tells us in his sermon, Matthew 6, 25, Therefore I tell you, don't be anxious about your life. Matthew 6, 31, therefore don't be anxious. Matthew 6, 34, therefore don't be anxious about tomorrow. So, so I'm sure everyone that struggles with anxiety, which, which the percentages are high, is, is thinking in response to Jesus, so, so Jesus, you're telling me not to be anxious. Well, I just need to know how. <laughs> if I could just stop, Tony, I would. I'm sure you're saying that. And so, so here's what we're going to do this morning. Before we hear Jesus' answer to how we handle being anxious, we're going to clarify why we are anxious, and what's really going on. We're, we're going we're gonna to clarify why we're anxious, 
and what's really going on. So let's go to the first thing. Why are we anxious? And and, it'd be helpful for us to start off with, with what anxiety actually is. And anxiety is this. Anxiety is an emotional response to a real or perceived future threat. It's a warning system of impending danger. So, so for me, anxiety takes root in my heart, particularly in three situations. When I see my calendar, when I'm the blame for failure, and when my family's not at full health. Uh, I, I'm usually an easygoing, go-with-the-flow type of person, uh, but when my wife and kids are sick, I go to freak-out, fix-it mode real fast. Uh, and, and I'm not okay in those moments. Like, and, and it's like, this, even this past week, I, no, I don't even want to talk about it. This past week, my kids were sick, and, 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 the, and the anxiety that, that was just rushing up in my heart, it's just automatic. You know that feeling when your children or someone you love is in pain and you can't fix it? Uh, it's, it's one of the worst feelings in the world. And, and, and for our children, uh, I, I've heard that that feeling doesn't go away even when our kids become adults. When we still worry about our children as they walk through some of the darkest valleys of this fallen world. And, and, and for those struggling with that, uh, I, I just want you to know that the heart of God is infinitely greater <laughs> and more compassionate than our own for our children. And, and, I, and I want you to know, like, for, for that truth brings me great comfort because Jesus actually took on that pain for us on the cross, and he offer us, offers us in exchange fullness of life in him. But, but what I tend to wrestle with is that I'm not in control of pain removal. I'm not in control of fixing it when it comes to my family and specifically their health. And this church is anxiety at play in my heart. It's because there's a particular issue at play in me. Uh, But before we like keep going forward, I I would say that there are different types of anxiety and what Jesus is addressing in the text is a particular type. So, So let's clarify for a second the different reasons for anxiety. The first type is what some consider to be a physiological malfunction. So, so, so it's anxiety that requires professional help from a physician or a counselor. Uh, but what I would recommend to be careful of is this. Just because there's a physiological issue doesn't mean your anxiety has no spiritual component. The, the gospel is applicable and necessary for all facets of life, regardless of how deeply rooted or physiological the issue may be. This doesn't mean that we neglect the body, but, but it also doesn't mean that, that we merely focus on the body to fix our issues. This is why Jesus tells us to love him with all of our heart and with all of our soul and with all of our strength and with all of our mind. It, it, it's all of our being at play here. Um, And so so which moves us into the second type of anxiety. It's the one that I believe Jesus is primarily addressing in a sermon. So look at what he says in verse 30 of our passage. He says, but if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, 
will he not much more clothe you, comma, O you of little faith? Jesus is saying the reason that that type of anxiety pops up in our hearts and, and rises up to the surface is because we have little faith. So if you're anything like me, you're thinking, okay, Jesus, that's kind of rude. And that hurts just a little. Uh, I I mean, this is bold. Jesus is calling out our faith. Jesus is defining our anxiety as little faith. So I'm sure you're thinking, okay, Jesus, that was rude. Uh, I forgive you for saying that my faith is weak. We're good. I owe you one or everything or whatever. Minor details. Uh, but, but no worries. I'll, I'll just go ahead and get more faith, right? If I have little faith, I'll just increase it. Boom. Bang. Uh, uh, right? Like that, that's what we need to do. But, but before we answer how we increase our faith, we must ask, what is faith? So let's briefly address this before we get into the text. According to Hebrews 11.1, 1, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, and the conviction of things not seen. So, so if that's faith, little faith is the doubting of things hoped for and the disbelief of things not seen. So Tim Keller will talk about faith this way. He'll say, faith is not primarily a function of how you feel. Faith is living out, trusting and believing what truth is despite how you feel. So, so, so this is not to say that, that what you feel never matters. The issue is what you end up relying upon and seeking after. Our faith, or lack thereof, reveals the foundations we rely upon and the things we seek after. Little faith relies on feelings of self and facts of circumstance while seeking after our own interests, while faith, on the other hand, relies on the promises and truths of God while seeking after God's interests. So here's how David Mathis talks about faith in relation to our anxiety. Spiritual anxiety is a faith issue. Oh, you of little faith. And by calling for faith, Jesus is not telling us to muster up strength within, but to acknowledge our own weakness and inability and to lean afresh on his strength and his power. The gospel says Jesus is strong and I am weak that Jesus is able and I am unable. And with that being said about little faith, I want us to clarify what Jesus is saying and what he isn't saying. He, here's what is, is and isn't really going on according to the text. Jesus isn't saying you're anxious because of circumstance. But, but what he is saying is you're anxious because you don't really believe God is in control. Or, you don't like that he's in control. 
What Jesus has been trying to say for the entire Sermon on the Mount is that your problem is a heart issue. He's saying, I I care about the lust in your heart that's leading to adultery, not just the act of adultery. I care about the anger that's in your heart that's leading to murder, not just the act of murder. I care about the distrust that's in your heart towards God, not just your moments of anxiety. Church, I have sad news for some of you in here, and some of you won't believe me, but I'm gonna say it anyway, and here it is. The circumstances are not the problem. It's just revealing the problem. It's just revealing what's already in your heart and they're just squeezing it out and the problem, church, is our little faith is under attack. Our little faith is under attack, and so, 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 the, so if the problem is little faith and that it's under attack, then the solution is, in fact, increase your faith, but what I mean by that is go to battle. Go to war with your unbelief. Ephesians 6 says that we are in spiritual warfare. This is a battle. You are under attack this morning, church. And so according to Matthew 6.30, your anxiety issue is a faith issue. It's an unbelief issue. It's a Mark 9.24, I believe, help my unbelief issue. So, 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 bef- so let's finally get into the text and see what Jesus wants us to do to combat our anxiety. Look at verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap, nor gather in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Verse 28, consider the lilies of the field and how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Do do you see it? The, The first way to go to war with your anxiety is to actually consider his care starting with his care for creation. What Jesus is saying in verse 26 and 28 is even the birds and the lilies are taken care of. The birds and the lilies, they're they're taken care of. They good. He argues that they're not even working hard. You can look up in the air, they good. You can look down in the ground, they good. You can look down, you can look up, you can look all around, and when you look all around, you realize that God is in control. Church, he's in control everywhere you look. And a quick point of application for us would be to put down your phones. Put down your iPads, put down your Apple Watches, put down your Androids, put down your Kindles, put down your laptops, put down your screens, put down your earbuds, put down the CD players, put down the cassette players, put down any form of technology that is hindering you from considering God's care for his creation. Part of the reason why we struggle with anxiety is that we're always somewhere else always connected to someone that's not even with you, always enslaved to the work that's at your fingertips, entranced by the news that feeds through your social media. Church, we don't need to know everyone's polished, well-put-together business. 
We don't need to know all the bad that, that, that always happens in this world at every minute. We don't need to comment and debate on everything that comes across our feed that angers us. We don't need to know what we're missing out on when we don't get invited to something. We don't need it to know every five minutes who liked or commented on your photo or story and respond to it. We don't need to capture every moment with a camera. In the midst of us considering all those things, we are missing out on the blessing of considering how God cares for his creation. And we only, we only get to consider that when we're out in his creation. Get outside. Take a walk. Go to the park, build something, read a book in a hammock or a swing, sit down at the dinner table and enjoy a meal with God's gift to you and your family and friends. So, so, so in order to do that, we, we have to actually set limits on how much screen time we have. Our technology use is robbing our ability to consider God's care for his creation and giving us anxiety in return. God's care for his creation and, and, and giving us, uh, it, it's what it's doing is it, it, it's reminding us that he actually matters. He's actually in control. It's, uh, and, and, and when we turn to technology, it's pointing us to the wrong kingdom. You have to discipline yourself to steal that time back and give it back to God. So, so I might also add, you can actually fast from social media and devote that time back to reading God's word. When you read God's word, you consider how God's been faithful and in control long before you were ever created. You, you, you get to consider, church, that he's been doing this thing for a very long time. Considering God's faithfulness and care displayed in his word will fare much better for your soul when it comes to anxiety than considering and seeking after the fleeting approval of those in a screen that will fail you time and time again. Church, consider his care found in his word, and when you do that, when you take time to consider his creation, you begin to see that he's a great God, that, that he's in control of life itself. And it even gets better. It even gets better, church. Once you look at and consider God's care for his creation, you see something else. Let's look back at verses 26 through 30. Jesus says this, verse 26 again. Look at the birds of the air. Your heavenly Father feeds them. And then next, look at this, next. Are you not more valuable than they? Verse 30, but if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? What, what is the text saying, church? The text is saying God's care for his children is significantly greater than God's care for his creation. Why? Listen to this because God greatly values and cares for his children. He loves his children. Paul Tripp will say it this way, if God would care that much for the birds and flowers, how much more would he care for those made in his image? 
if God feeds and clothes animals and plants without an eternal soul, how much more will he provide for those covered by the costly blood of his son? You have reason to rest because creation preaches to you a gospel of divine faithfulness. More than all creation does our Father love his children. And when you're a child of God, you get to take on new identities that are found in Christ. First Peter 2 will say, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Child of God, if you struggle with anxiety, you're not an anxious person. That's not who you are. That's, that's not who you are. Your anxiety does not and should not define you. You are a child of God. You're a child of God that lives in a fallen world and desperately needs Jesus to save you from yourself. That's who you are. If, if you let anything outside of God's love for you define who you are, that's called idolatry. And look at this, it, it keeps getting better. God's children get to cast their anxieties on him. Look at 1 Peter 5, 7. It says, humble yourselves, therefore under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him. Why? Because he cares for you. Church, church he cares for you. This, this, this is good news, church, that, that we get to cast our anxieties on him because he cares for us. He loves his children. Consider this truth. Meditate on this truth. Rest in this truth. This is good news. And so from there, now we're going to see in the text the second way to battle our little faith, which is to seek his kingdom and his righteousness. So, so an important step in the battle is clearly identifying your opponent, clearly identifying your unbelief. And remember, Jesus has been trying to teach us in his sermon so far that the problem is your heart. The problem is you, not the circumstances, not someone else, not the people. And, 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 and what helps us in the scenario is to actually be precise rather than general about what your unbelief might be. The types of unbelief opponents we, that we might come up against in our little faith is revealed in what Jesus says when he says you must seek the kingdom and his righteousness. If you're struggling with anxiety, it might be because you're not fully seeking the kingdom that you're supposed to. So Jesus teaches us how you're supposed to seek the kingdom according to this text. So, so let's just kind of work through these unbelief opponents. The first is you must seek the kingdom expectantly not doubting that he's able, but trusting in God's provision. Verse 31 reads this, therefore don't be anxious saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What, what shall we wear? These are questions of doubt. The first opponent is our doubt of God's provision. And when you doubt God's provision, you don't trust that God will actually take care of you. So you begin to question him begin to grumble against him, begin to blame him. And to help us with that, we must remember that his mercies are new every morning and he gives us daily bread. Not, not bi-weekly bread, not monthly bread, 
but daily. <laughs> and, 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 let, and let me clarify something real quick. I, I, I know some of you are like, I've told God what I need, and I'm still waiting, <laughs> or he, he hasn't given it to me. Uh, and, and so this is why I'm freaking out. This is why I'm so anxious, because I'm still waiting on God to give me what I need, what I asked him for. And, and, and I would say to you that what you need isn't always what you think you need. It's what God thinks you need. And those are necessities of what he's given you in order to do his will in his timing, not your own. Getting God to satisfy and fulfill your will and desires is not the gospel, but the prosperity gospel, which is thinking you'll get what you want when you want it if you obey him. So, so God answers every prayer. Sometimes that answer is no. <laughs> but his answer is always for your good and for his glory if you're a child of God. God will give us what we need in his timing to do his will. Seeking the kingdom and his righteousness gives us more of him, not things. He won't always give you fruit of the loom but he will give you fruit of the spirit. That's love, joy, peace, when you abide in him. And so, so, so church, what I'm calling for is not for you to say, God, I'm gonna keep asking for things and wait for you to give them to me. What he's asking for is for you to say, God, I'm gonna consider what you want to do with my life and you'll give me what I need accordingly. I'm gonna, I'm gonna wait for you to give me what I need to obey you. So that looks different for every person. Uh, and so, 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 so move forward, let, we're gonna go into the second opponent, unbelief opponent that we'll run into, and this is, this is seeking the kingdom confidently. Not doubting that he knows what you need, but trusting in God's omniscience. And so verse 32 reads, for the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Jesus is arguing that God knows what you need. The second opponent is our doubt of God's omniscience. When you doubt God's omniscience, you don't trust that God's all-knowing, so you provide for yourself. You, you provide for yourself just like the Gentiles do, who, by the way, mirror our current individualistic, autonomous, self-sufficient society of today— more th the more we think about it. Like the Gentiles, our society asserts that you are enough, that you have it all together, that you are in control. And church, I just want to remind us, and just a, a helpful thing to remember, is that we are not in control. We are not enough. We don't have it all together. <laughs> And nothing in this world is enough or without error or in complete control except Jesus, amen? And, and, and so I just, I think it's just a helpful reminder for us to remember when we start seeking after everything else and trying to put control into our own hands to provide for us, what we're really saying is, God, I don't believe that you're all-powerful. I don't believe that you know what I need in this moment, so I'll just get it myself. 
So moving on to the third, Jesus also tells us to seek the kingdom firstly. So not secondly or lastly, but, but trusting in God's omnipotence. Verse 33 reads, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. The key words here are first and of God and his righteousness. The third opponent is our doubt of God's omnipotence. When you doubt God's omnipotence, you don't trust that God's all-powerful, so you exert your own power first and use him as a last resort when things don't work out. So, so I do this with sickness all the time. Here's how it goes for me. First, I wait and see, uh, see if, if things naturally get better, and if they don't, I get medicine, and if that don't work, then I go to the doctor, and if that don't work, then I get a second opinion. And if that don't work, then I, then I try my wife's essential oils. <laughs> and, and then if that doesn't work, then I pray and ask God to heal me. <laughs> like like I, I use God as a last resort when, I, when I've exhausted all of my own efforts first. And when you doubt God's omnipotence, you don't believe that God's heavenly treasures are more valuable than his earthly treasures. You go after broken cisterns first. So you go after creation rather than the creator who is the fountain of living water. When you doubt God's omnipotence, you don't believe his kingdom matters more than your own. And I believe it's no mistake that this section of the Sermon on the Mount follows the section on treasures. You know they're connected to this idea of anxiety and little faith because this section, starting in verse 25, begins with therefore. So Jesus is saying, because of what I've said before, I can now make this connection, and here it is. Just like you can't serve two masters, God and money, you can't seek two kingdoms, God's and your own. So let me ask you, church, which kingdom are you actually seeking? God's or your own? Listen here, church, the fact of the matter is we're all kingdom seekers. The question is, which one are you after first and foremost? Your anxiety is one of the many clues to help you answer that question. Our propensity to seek and place our hope in our own kingdoms leaves little room for us to hope, seek, or have faith in God's. Seeking after our own kingdoms and our righteousness first leads Jesus to say, O oh, you of little faith. Our anxiety exposes the treasures and kingdoms in our hearts, and Jesus frees us from them and invites us into a greater kingdom to seek, and, and, and it invites us to, to actually seek a perfect righteousness that's not of our own, but only is found in Jesus. And lastly, Jesus asks us to seek the kingdom presently, not worrying about tomorrow, but being present in the present, trusting in God's sovereignty. Verse 34 reads, Therefore, don't be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Jesus is saying the now has its troubles just like tomorrow does. The last opponent is our doubt of God's sovereignty. When, when, when you doubt God's sovereignty, you don't trust God's in control of your, li of your life, so you anxiously plan your tomorrow. And let me clarify, it's okay to plan tomorrow. 
it's actually a good thing to do. Uh, so, so please don't go and, and burn all of your planners this afternoon because I said it's bad to, you know, to be anxious about tomorrow. Uh, that, that would be foolish. Uh, so, so it's okay to plan tomorrow or the month. It's just wrong to do it out of distrust of your heavenly father. When you get anxious about something that's happening in the future, you gotta find a way to ask those, these questions to yourself. What are you actually getting done? And the answer is nothing. This is why he says in verse 27, uh, of which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? This is a rhetorical question. The answer is none of you can. Why? Because you're not in control. You're not sovereign. God is. In the midst of you trying to add hours to your life and worry about tomorrow, the underlying question is, what are you missing out on while being anxious? And the answer is a lot. You're missing out on God's gift of his presence in the present. You're missing out. So that includes people, that includes disciple making, that includes good, honest, hard work. You're missing out on life for the sake of your anxiety. You're missing out on the opportunities to minister to people and offer your transforming presence to someone that desperately needs it. Your presence and words of encouragement can help others see and experience the presence of the living God. And I wonder if when he says, sufficient for the day, it's its own trouble, he's not referring to your own troubles on your own list uh, uh, in your own kingdom. What he's referring to might be the troubles that exist in the lives of others that he's put in your path and in your mission field. If you look at this text in context, Jesus transitions from anxiety at the end of chapter six right into chapter seven, which touches, which touches on judging others. And, and, and why, why would that be possibly? Because our inability to think outside of ourselves and presently seek God's kingdom hinders us from seeing our own sin and helping others that might be presently struggling in this fallen world. Our anxieties might be hindering us from effectively, genuinely, and lovingly ministering to others that might be struggling, possibly even with the same types of struggles as us. I, I have a dear friend that, that's had a very difficult journey with anxiety, and, and she's oftentimes felt burned by how the church has responded to her sharing her struggle with anxiety. And the responses come across as disingenuous because many people seem so consumed with how their own kingdom saw and experienced those things. They weren't focused on presently seeking God's kingdom that compels us to genuinely love others. And so she shared with me some of the responses that she's heard from the church on her struggle. And, and, and here are just a few. Oh, oh, just give it to God, you'll be okay. Or, oh, oh, I struggle with anxiety too. I totally get what you're going through. This is just a season, it'll get better. Or, oh, just, just do this, this, and this. Follow this equation and you won't be anxious. And, and Paul Tripp actually has something to say about these responses, in particular the last one. He says, I want the person struggling with anxiety to remember that God is near, that he is present, and his grace reaches to the depth of the struggles. Rather than if you do this and this, you can become unanxious. You see that? We seek God's kingdom and his righteous presently be, righteousness presently because he is a God that is ever present in our lives, ready to offer his grace and peace when anxiety strikes in our lives and in the lives of others. We can offer this good news to those struggling today, and those deep-rooted struggles aren't usually quick fixes. 
Therefore, they require seeking God's kingdom and his righteousness presently, every day, constantly with the good news of the gospel. His presence today allows you to pursue what he's called us to today with vigor, confidence, and peace. And that calling involves presently today considering others' interests, hurts, and stories more important than our own. It's because of the gospel and the promises that flow from it that we have no need to worry about our own kingdoms. He's got us. He's always had us. Ever since the creation of the world, he's had a plan to save his bride and come back for her. Jesus is the alpha and the omega. He's calling us this morning to cast not just our anxieties, but all of our sins upon him. And when we return, when he returns, we get to say, God, give me peace. Your peace has come today. When he returns, we get to see Jesus in all of his righteousness. And God will, will look at us and, 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 and see the righteousness of Jesus. That's why we seek it. So here's what we gotta do in our hearts. Here, here, here's some heart check questions for us. Do you believe that God's in control? Do you even like that he's in control? What is consuming your mind that you choose to consider instead of God? What are you seeking after in your own kingdom that's hindering you from seeking God's kingdom? At the root of anxiety is that you're not allowing the gospel to permeate even into the depths of your idle control of your own kingdom. The gospel relates to our idol of control in this since, since our Father is in control of all things and is now fully pleased with us because of the work of his Son, we no longer need to be in control because he is in control and he is for us. He loves us. If you're a child of God, you need to know that anxiety does not win. Jesus, the righteous King, has the victory. This is why we seek his kingdom and his righteousness. Paul Tripp will say it this way. If Jesus defeated death and the empty tomb tells us he did, then there's no dark thing in your heart that he's not able to defeat. What good news is that, church? Not only that, but Jesus is coming back to deal with sin once and for all. For those in Jesus, our fallen nature will be no more one day. Praise God, so church, let's stack our hands on us no longer trying to take control of what God's already in control of in Jesus. Let us rest in the fact that Jesus has his children taken care of. And if you're not a child of God, how you combat anxiety looks completely different. Yes, God's still in control. Yes, God's still numbered your days. Yes, God is still extending you common grace, but you don't get the everlasting peace and rest that's found in the heart of a child of God and what he has access to. A child of God is one who has surrendered their life over to the Jesus and gets shalom, gets peace before God. When you seek God's kingdom and his righteousness expectantly, confidently, firstly, and presently, especially when you are a child of God, when you do this, you have access to his peace that's found in his presence. Philippians 4, 6 through 7, proves that the child of God gets peace in Jesus. He says, don't be anxious about anything, 
but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. When you seek God's kingdom and his righteousness rather than your own, the peace of Jesus can guard your hearts and surpass how you understand and believe things will go. His peace won't make sense. You'll act contrary to what people will do when they see your circumstances. For example, when Jesus' disciples are freaking out on the boat, when there's a threatening storm all around them, Jesus is just chilling in a boat catching Z's. When Paul and Silas are bound to chains in prison after almost being beaten to death, they're found in prison singing praise and worship songs. What? Why? Circumstances would say freak out and wallow in your misery, right? Why is Jesus sleeping and Paul and Silas singing? Because the peace they have surpasses our understanding of circumstance. They're filled with peace and joy because they're seeking God's kingdom, not their own. When you're connected to the vine, you get peace instead of worry. You get rest instead of anxiety. You get freedom instead of bondage. You get the prince of peace instead of the master of deception. You get the king of kings instead of the king of accusation. God may not remove your anxiety from you on this side of heaven, but you get Emmanuel. You get God with us as you go to war against it. Listen, church, the question is not, will this anxiety be removed from me? The question is, are you getting more of Jesus because of it? Are you satisfied in what God has promised for you in Jesus? When things get out of your control, which kingdom will you resolve to go to first? And let the word of God speak, uh, speak this over you from Isaiah 41.10, and it reads this, Fear not for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Oh God, may we consider your loving care this morning. May we seek your kingdom first. Allow my kingdom to decrease and yours to increase. For those knee-deep in anxiety, may you have mercy on them, God. The numbers would say many in this room have been affected by this issue. It is through and with Jesus that we can continue fighting our anxiety because we're no longer slaves to it in Jesus. It will not have victory over us, and it will not define us. His work define us, defines us. For many of you in the room, it might be helpful to say to Jesus right now out loud, I'm not in control, but you are. Help me believe it. Say it. Keep saying it. Meditate on this truth Take all those things that are currently giving you anxiety, that's currently weighing you down, that's currently not adding hours to your life, but taking away hours of sleep, and lay them at the feet of Jesus and say, I trust you because you are for me, not against me.
say it, keep saying it, meditate on this truth. For those in the room that are not children of God, God, may you lead them to full surrender by your Holy Spirit to your kingdom in Jesus. Give them the peace that's that's only found in Jesus to quiet their anxious hearts so that they may proclaim it is well with my soul because my father is now fully pleased with me because of the work of his son. I no longer need to be in control because he is in control and he is for me. He loves me. If you're not a child of God, pray that. And we're going to continue in worship by receiving communion this morning. For those serving in communion, you may begin heading to your spot. And I want us just to linger a little bit longer in, in, in that prayer. What are you laying down at the feet of Jesus that is causing anxiety to rise up in your heart? Lay it at the feet of Jesus. Lay it at the feet of Jesus. Jesus, we need you. Help us believe that you love us, that you're in control. It is your son's name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Stonegate Church. A podcast is never meant to replace gathering with your church to hear the preaching of the Bible. So we want to encourage you to be part of a local church family. We meet every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. and would love for you to join us as we enjoy Jesus together.